and we're on. You're listening to Kiss Life. I'm Swazi. This is a brand new show hitting the Kiss Station. It's basically the landing page for us to come every week and what a busy week it has been. I want to be having the conversation that you are already having in your group chat with your people, with your family. Come and bring it right here. Get involved on the socials at Kiss FM UK. It is a little bit of a gear change. I'll let you know from now. But we need a little bit of a gear change because tonight's conversation is big and we really need to take time and explore all the different ways that we can chop up tonight's topic. Tonight we're talking about taking the knee. Where does sport and politics meet? Should they meet? Should they mix? How much has changed since 1968 when Tommy Smith and John Carlos captured the feeling of the nation on a global stage? I can say I represented black America. I'm very proud to be a black man and also to have won a gold medal. And this, I thought, I could represent my people by letting them know that uh, I'm proud to be a black man. We'll be getting the views of some elite footballers and a top athlete, plus we'll be hearing from the man behind this magical moment for England in 1984. That's a good ball there for Barnes. Now can he take Leandro? John Barnes now. Michael all the way for England. Barnes! He's Stand by for the legend that is John Barnes, as well as St Mirren striker Jonathan Obika and Brentford's midfielder Shandon Baptiste, as we'll be talking about taking the knee and whether it's good or now just a gesture in football. We'll also be hearing from British 400 metre runner Conrad Williams. All that is coming your way in the next hour. This is Kiss Live. It's been one hell of a week. We couldn't escape from all that's happened on the timeline, across your group chats. It's all been popping off, and especially when it comes down to the European Super League, as well as the announcement of the Olympics reiterating their Rule 50, which doesn't allow athletes to display anything linked to political protests, which includes taking the knee. In other news, the much-anticipated verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial, where he was accused of the murder of George Floyd last May, finally came to fruition. State of Minnesota plaintiff versus Derek Michael Chauvin defendant. Verdict count one. We the jury in the above entitled matter as to count one, unintentional second degree murder while committing a felony, find the defendant guilty. Count two, third degree murder perpetrating an eminently dangerous act, find the defendant guilty. Count three, second degree manslaughter, culpable negligence, creating an unreasonable risk, Find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April 2021 at 1.45 p.m. You could almost feel the massive sigh of relief around the world as it felt like there was a sense of justice for one of the actions of the last 12 months. Emotions ran high outside of the courtroom. I am so excited, so grateful to God. We've been praying nonstop, nonstop for this verdict. And we are so thankful. I'm so thankful to God because only a God could do something like this in America. 
it was just unbelievable. It's almost, I can't explain in words, just, just so loved, just so loved, you know? And then the sun shined through, like, you know, after, after all these clouds, and it was just so beautiful. It's just so beautiful, and um, I just, I can feel, like, the spirit on me right now, you know, and God's presence is definitely here, and it's, you know, it's really touching, and, um, you, know, you know, to know that we are loved. I felt relieved. I felt relieved that he was found guilty on all three counts. And now I'm ready for all the rest of the police that have murdered black men and women to be found guilty on all charges of murder. We have never been treated like citizens. We've always been treated like slaves. And some say that we've been treated like second-class citizens. But for the most part, citizens has not been part of the equation when it comes to black people. It should have been obvious. We weren't sure and the fight is just beginning. Closer to home, the 22nd of April represented Stephen Lawrence Day, marking the 28th anniversary of his passing. This is an annual commemoration to remember the life of this young man who was taken far too early in a racially motivated attack. Stephen's mum, Baroness Lawrence, explains the motivation behind the National Day. I see the Stephen Lawrence Day as celebrating a mark in Stephen's life to um, look at the positiveness of what can come out of something as tragic as Stephen's death. I like to use the Stephen Lawrence Day to be the best that you can be and to live your best life. Go out there and make your community a better and safer place. You know, start learning to be more tolerant of each other and to be more inclusive. And your small actions can make big changes. I want to say to a young person that your life matters. Your life matters. It feels like a lot has happened this week. It's been a busy seven days. And whether you've got energy and fuel left, or if you're feeling weary, stay with me. I need you to be part of this conversation. On tonight's show, we're going to focus on the Olympic decision to rule out all forms of political protest. But first, we look back to a very famous incident that took place 53 years ago. The 1968 Olympics took place in Mexico and there was a lot of tension between black athletes and the authorities due to how black people were being treated across America at the time. This almost led to all black American athletes boycotting the Games but in the end, they decided to attend. The prestigious 200 metres was a history-defining race. The winner was Tommy Smith, who broke the world record time for the event and his countryman, John Carlos, came third and won the bronze. They went to receive their medals without shoes on and wearing a single black glove in solidarity for those facing racial injustice in America. As the national anthem played, they both raised a single fist in the air, displaying the black power salute, as Smith explained. The right glove signified the power within black America. The left glove signified black unity. The scarf that was worn around my neck signified blackness. John Carlos and me wore black socks without shoes to also signify our poverty. The image is now iconic. But at the time, it wasn't well received by the Olympic authorities. When the International Olympic Committee suspended them Friday, their credentials were taken away and they were told they could not stay in Mexico. They were given 48 hours to leave Mexico. 
having been thrown out of the American Olympic squad for what they had done. Fast forward to today, with the rescheduled 2020 Olympics due to take place in less than 100 days with a backdrop of global racial tension and a spotlight on the current inequalities being felt by different races, the International Olympic Committee has reiterated its position regarding its Rule 50. Rule 50 of the Olympic Charter aims to stop protests and demonstrations in order to protect the neutrality of sport and the Olympic Games. The taking of the knee is seen as a protest, which means no athlete will be permitted to do that. It seems a long way from the attitude of sport in the UK and over the last 12 months we have seen numerous events, including the Premier Leagues in England and Scotland, routinely taking the knee as a sign of solidarity for the situation. But what does it mean? I want to know, is there a place for sport to line up alongside politics for these kind of statements? Some of today's footballers have decided against the taking of the knee, stating it's just a show rather than something that leads to change. In a moment, I'll be getting the opinions of former Tottenham, Swindon and Brighton striker Jonathan Obika, who is now playing for Scottish side St Mirren and Brentford midfielder Shandon Baptiste, who plays in the Championship. But first, let's hear from two Premier League players with very opposing views on the taking of the knee before games. This is Aston Villa and England defender Tyrone Mings. There is no right or wrong reason to take the knee and, and this is a demonstration of the injustices or inequalities that different cultures and races within football have felt and continue to feel. Historically, we've never had something like this. We have T-shirt campaigns and stuff like this, but to say that we've unified the sport in an anti-racism message pre-game in the Premier League every game, I think is so powerful. And this is something that we shouldn't let go or stop without thinking why or, or thinking really deeply as to why we're stopping. And if I'm completely honest, I haven't heard one substantial argument as to why we should stop it. I've heard it's lost its power. I would contradict that by saying, who have you spoke to? I think we've seen the power of it in football. We've seen the power of what it can do, the doors it can open, the opportunities that it can create by keeping the conversation relevant, by keeping it on the forefront of people's mind. There are so many layers as to why I, I think it's, it's powerful and to why I think it's important. Crystal Palace and Ivory Coast winger Wilfred Zaha became the first high-profile player to refuse to take the knee and explains his thoughts. When people constantly want to get man to do, oh yeah, Black Lives Matter talks and racial talks, and I'm like, I'm not doing it just so you can put Zaha's spoke for us. Because unless things change, I'm not coming to chat to you just to say it for the sake of it. Like all the interviews I've done, I'm like, okay, why do we just get a month for celebrating black people? Why just a month? Even the whole kneeling down, why must I kneel down? Why must I even wear Black Lives Matter on the back of my top to show you, man, that we matter? This is all degrading stuff. So all that stuff that you are doing, all these charades mean nothing. All these platforms, you see what's happening. You see man making fake accounts to abuse black people constantly, but you don't change it. So don't tell me to come and chat about stuff that's not going to change. Change it. One month of 
Black History Month and why were they showing the kids in school? They're not showing you, you know, kings, no kings and queens of Africa and what we've done and what we've whatever. They're showing you roots, guys tied up, guys trying to run away from white people, white people doing this with us and whatever, whatever. They're not showing you the kings and queens of, or whatever. But then throughout the rest of the year, we're learning about King Henry and the wives he's beat. <laughs> we've gone through racism for however long, yeah. I've been getting abused, racially abused. Half of the time, football-wise, you're not abusing me because of football, you're abusing me just because you don't like my colour. Don't hide behind football and claim whatever. It's powerful, powerful, powerful. The voice of Crystal Palace is Wilfred Zaha. And joining me now, not one, but two footballers. Jonathan Abika's on the line from St Mirren and Shandon Baptiste from Brentford as well. How are you guys doing? Yeah, thank you. Good, thanks. Good, good. Before we get into the big chat, before we get into this night's conversation, I've got to give you guys congratulations in order. Congrats, Shandon, on your win over Bournemouth yesterday. How are you guys feeling? Thank you. It was a big win. It was needed. Obviously, we're in the playoffs, um, playoffs now, so we're working towards um, those games, and hopefully, we can we can come out on top. Yeah, nice. And Jonathan, you guys did well earlier in the week as well. How are the boys feeling? Yeah, no, no, we're we're buzzing with that. To be fair, it puts us in that good stead for uh, tomorrow's game, uh, which is a cup game. So uh, yeah, we're looking forward. <laughs> plug, plug, plug. Listen, you guys have had good results, man, and that's nice, and that's a bit of positive news. But I guess this has been a weird season because we've had coronavirus, we then had Black Lives Matter movement. Um, so much has been happening over the last couple of months, right? And so, yeah, how are you guys feeling in relation to the conversation around taking the knee? Um, let me start off with you, Jonathan, first. What's your thoughts? What's your feelings? Yeah, I feel um, taking the knee that is a, is a, is a powerful... Uh, powerful display, that visual display, uh, solidarity against racism. Um, I do feel it's the, obviously the purpose for that was to, to raise awareness, and I feel it's done that. Um, but now we need to see uh, what these governing bodies are are doing, what the FA is doing. Um, we had a there was an incident uh, last month uh, with Glenn Kamara at Rangers, racially abused in big in a big game, Europa League game. And we're seeing the punishment and there's a lot of anger towards that because, you know, we're, we're all in solidarity against this. But then these governing bodies are, are giving out light punishment. So um, it does make you think that now we can't be, we don't want to be hiding behind the kneeling thing. Like, like the FA is thinking, OK, this is all we're doing. Mm. We've got everybody organised people together. Now you need to start that ban people, you know, make it make it something that it strikes fear in people. So, because um, it's, it's, it's honestly it's bigger than the, than the sport. So, um, yeah, that's what I feel about it. Yeah, no, thank you. And that and that resonates with so many of our listeners. It resonates with like, yeah, what you say about the consequence and how, um, you know, people can feel, oh my gosh, if I do something, what is the consequence to that? Um, that's a big conversation to be had as well this evening. Um, Shandon, you're, you're over at Brentford. That's multicultural, man. There's loads of people, loads of people talking about this. So what's the feeling of the club and what's your stance when it comes to taking the knee? Yeah, no, the feeling of the club is, you know, everyone against racism everyone is trying to fight fight the problem obviously we at the club have said to um have stopped taking a knee but um that's just because we thought as players that it served its purpose as john said like people as i strike i even got abused i think three four five times this season mm. while we were taking the knee and nothing was being done so obviously we're doing something to stop racism but when racism racism is happening no one is doing anything to stop it so we kind of just thought you know, let's let's stop this. Let's try to do something else that 
again will raise awareness and it's something new, it's something fresh and hopefully people will, will um will take that. But my take on the news is that as I said, it's done its purpose. I think now we need we need something, we need something to be done like it's all well and good doing it, but if nothing's being done then nothing's gonna ever change. But the one thing I would say is that I don't think we should stop. I think it still needs to be out there. People still need to see it because at the end of the day when it when it goes away People won't be able to learn about it. They won't know about it. They won't. They will think that it's not happening no more. So I think it is about keeping awareness, but doing more. That's yeah. all that if, oh, if you're if you're always doing more, then something's going to eventually change. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and John, I just want to come back to you, you know, because you mentioned about hiding behind the knee and, and a lot of the conversation has turned now towards taking the knee feels more of a gesture. Um, it feels as though it's lost its impact, it's lost its punch. Um, so what would you say to that? Has has taking the knee become more of a gesture within the, the football community? What do you what do you think? Yeah, I can, um, I can understand when people do say that because, um, you know, at the start, I feel it was, it seemed very serious, like um, whether it was like 10 seconds on, you know, kneeling down. But sometimes if I'm watching football, um, say highlights or, or whatnot, like on the YouTube, you know, people, you know, some people may be lunging or you know maybe mm. doing the lace, you know, whilst whilst kneeling. So I could see why because they're thinking, okay, uh, when we start the when we start uh, start the game before the game, yeah, we're gonna kneel. So it's it's not in their minds thinking, okay, listen, this is against racism. Um, so that's why I do believe that the punishments have to, if we're kneeling, the punishments have to match because. It makes people definitely know that you know this is this has to get sorted. This has to there's a problem here, just like Shandon was saying, and this has to get sorted. Mm, yeah, and, and just throwing it back over to Shandon as well. You mentioned that um, I think you said three times you you've suffered abuse, and in those moments, oh my gosh, in those moments, who do you turn to? Who do you talk to? What what is the response from your club, from your your other players, your manager? How do you feel when that happens and what is the the response from, from your teammates? I think everyone, you know, everyone is with you. Everyone is, as I said, against it. And but it's I think it always comes it comes back to like what what can they do? You know, we're all in this boat together, we're all sharing the same the same post, we're all kneeling down together, we're all trying to to stop racism. But you know, everyone has a as a whole, is very good when it happens. They know they're there to support you as a club, the manager, your players. You know, you have multiple people to talk to if you're feeling down, if it's affected you um, that much. But, you know, there, there comes a point where consoling is, is as much as they can do. You know, they, you know, we need everyone to, to make the change. As you saw with the, the Super League, everyone got behind mm. that, um, that movement and, and that tournament. We need the same energy when it comes to to this matter because if we have that I'm sure I, I, yeah, I'm just going to say yeah sorry to cut you where is the vim <laughs> do you know what I mean like no, I'm seeing it, it all over the it. timeline I'm seeing guys go off about it and yet the same energy the same vim seems to lack in this conversation why is that I'm, I, I, I don't have the answer I think obviously you know when you, when you care about things um, you know you 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 push your emotion onto it a lot more and stuff so I think when you know racism is not happening to to that individual, so they don't really got you. They don't see the effects of it, and they they don't really. I won't say they don't care, but as I said, they just don't see the effects of it and how it 
it really affects people. So I just think, like, as you said, people just need to have the same thing when it um, when it comes to this matter because we're not just talking about football. This is everyday life. Like, I don't think it's right that one race should just be oppressed because of the, the colour of their skin. So yeah. it's just a matter that I think if we all got behind and um, it will it will make a, a massive difference. Yeah, yeah. And and talk to me about Scotland, Jonathan. Talk to me about yeah. St Mirren as well. When you're in the locker room, are you having those conversations when you're having to explain to other players who may not know your struggle, who may not know the battles that you face and may not even know the power or or... Yeah, the vim that you have when you take the knee. So have you had those conversations? And if so, how did they go down? Yeah, I feel uh, the boys, the boys here, the club, they, they are very, they've been very supportive uh, towards the racism. Um, we do have talks, you know, within the change room, like in the week about like, especially because it, it's happened to a, a player that plays in our league. And um, it was quite high, it was a high profile case. So, Everyone was talking about it, so the 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 consensus was like punish the punish the punishment has to has to match because we're kneeling we're we're showing that we're all together like we're showing that we're all together kneeling but the punishments have to match and and we did speak about like we're in a professional we're in a professional environment mm-hmm. so this is not like outside if someone abuses us racially you know people may act as you know, how they see fit. We're in a professional environment, there's rules, order. So, you know, the officials and these governing bodies need to understand that we're, we're going to them. You know, uh, Glenn, when Glenn Kamara got racial abuse, he went straight to the referee, you know. Mm. So um, uh, these things, need, they need to just understand, listen, this is, this is, this is your core. You're, you're, you're in control in this, in this situation. We can't just act how we, how we see fit Yeah. Yeah. And for both of you, I'd really love to know what your thoughts are around, you know, governing bodies. We've, we've touched on it already, but we know, of course, change needs to happen in the hands of the decision makers. Of course, change needs to be happening at the top, but that's not to belittle or take away from the change and the things that are happening at a grassroots level. But would you say as black players that you feel that the main onus of responsibility that lies with the governing bodies or where? Where does that sit? Let me come to you first, um, Shanda. Let me come to you. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's the governing bodies. As you, as John said before, Glen Kamara, the Glen Kamara case, everyone knows that one. It was worldwide. Um, I think in that situation, I really thought they was going to take a stand on it and say, you know what, we're not having this. Right. We're going to give the player a proper ban to show people that, you know, racism is not allowed in the game mm. and it should be kept away from it. But they gave him a 10-match a ban. That is, we played so many games this season that that's probably a three-week, three-week um, ban and he'll be back playing soon. So um, I really think yeah, it is on them because they're the ones that can hand out the real punishment to, to these players. And at the end of the day, say, by giving someone a, a, a real harsh ban is not going to stop them being racist when they go home. But mm. at least it will show them that, you know, it's not we're not allowing it in this sport. Yeah. Keep that away from, from this sport and then we can handle that case another time. But yeah, I think it, it, it really does come down to all the, the governing bodies. Yeah, and just before I jump over to you, Jonathan, I just want to stay here. A 10-game ban, 
When you heard this, what was your response? Because shouts goes out to my brother who had to school me up on this one, yeah? I said a 10-game ban, really? <laughs> so I know what I was thinking and feeling. But for you, when you first heard that, and especially talking about professionalism as well, jumping off that word from Jonathan, how do you stay professional in your, in your field, but yet you, you feel like this is, this is something that is, you know, just wrong? So what was your, force, your first thoughts when you heard that punishment? What was going through your mind? Like, you know, it was just crazy. Like, I, I, I didn't, I really, as I said before, I really thought that UEFA was going right. to really take a stand on it. And when I see the 10-game ban, I was just like, you know what? Like, I, I'm really not that surprised because I had a feeling that they would do something like that because 10 games, as I said, is, is literally nothing. Like, mm. he'll probably, most of those games will be done before the end of the season. Then he'll have to not play a couple at the start of next season. And that's it. And he gets to play a full season of football while Glenn Kamara has to, you know, have that feeling in him, have that anger in him for the rest of, right. of his life. Because as you said, we're in a professional environment. You know, he can't just go and punch the guy and, 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 and lose it. Yeah. He would have probably got a longer ban if he punched him in the face than he than the guy that racially abused him. So I think that's how crazy this this situation is. So mm. I think it's just you just gotta keep your your feelings inside and just try to exp- express them in, in different ways by again just coming on shows like this, talking about it, posting things and just being vocal when when um, the time is needed. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I've got mad love for you both, you know, coming on the show because so much of what you do, yes, you are professional football players, but there's also a role of, you know, a responsibility socially to be having this conversation. And I just wanted to come back around authorities and where the where the responsibility lies for you, Jonathan. What What's your thoughts around that? So, yeah, do you feel like the onus is on the top governing bodies and the, the power and the authority lies there? Or is it is it more so that at a grassroots level, we're having conversations like this to turn heads at the top level to then produce that change yeah no literally that you're saying that Shannon's saying is 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 crazy because with the Super League uh, Shannon touched on the Super League um, Boris within a I don't know I don't even know if it was a day but within hours I saw Boris Johnson on TV the Prime Minister speaking about you know we are going to this is what we are going to do about the Super League it was quick and then the next day you know Every chairman is apologising. So it was very, you know, from when it came from the top, it's very clear what they're going to do if they treat, if they do that with racism. Listen, there will be no, there'll be probably less talk about you know equality because everyone understands that. Listen, this is this is an on. So um, it does, it does, it does anger. You know, I feel as, as a player, it does uh, anger me uh, from time to time because. Mm. You just want the the sport to get it right, but uh, we know that it's gonna, you know, with racism, it's gonna be a battle, and you know, we have to we have to keep, like you said, like you're doing, and everyone is doing, like raise awareness, you know, with their platforms. Yeah. Yeah, and it goes to the point, doesn't it, about the responsibility lying with everyone. You have to play your part. If if you guys don't play your part, <laughs> do you know what I mean? If I don't come on radio and play my part, then we're missing as part of the conversation. So before I ask my last question, which I'm giving you the heads up from now, my last question will be, is racism in football getting better or worse? Okay, so land your head there. That's the, that's the last question. But I have to ask you, just on the back of what Zaha was saying around, why should I come out? Why should I come out and do all these conversations if change is 
isn't happening. I just want to know from you guys, when you're playing, when you're, you know, in, in the limelight, are you conscious of young people watching you, loving football, but seeing you guys? And even if you, you know, they watch you taking the knee, they're like, rah, I can see that you are on the same page of what I'm thinking. And so for you not to take the knee, surely there is more good than bad to come from that. So I just wondered from a young person's perspective watching you, are you conscious of that as you're playing, um, yeah, as you're playing on, on, on the pitch? Uh, Jennifer, let me come to you first. Yeah, definitely. I feel you're conscious about because you know you're, you're being watched by, by many people. You're conscious of the, the young ones coming up. You know, you want them to know that, you know, this sport is, you want them to be comfortable coming into a sport um, and I feel like at the like at the start it was very, you know, it, it felt like very strict. Where you know even in highlights they're showing, you know, players taking the knee. But now you go into, you know, they're just um, showing the first action of the game. Um, mm. So these these visuals, they you see that it's becoming less and less. But it, it is important. You want kids coming into the sport thinking, nah, they just I just want to come and express myself on right. the field enjoy football, you know, play for my family, you know, my friends, play for fans, um, not deal with racial abuse. So um, we do have that responsibility to, to uphold for sure. Yeah, yeah. And and sneak question coming in for you, Shandon, as well. Is there a lot of talk behind the scenes? I want to get the goss. I want to get the tea from you lot. Is there a lot of talk between the guy, uh, between you guys behind the scenes about the situation, um, definitely between both yourselves, but also all players at different levels? What's going on behind the scenes between you lot? I think it's, like, obviously we talk about it because, you know... The group chat is popping. We're just normal normal people, so, you know, we talk about the same things you guys do, but I think, um, obviously, at the the highest level, it's just highlighted more because it's seen a lot more when, you know, you see it. Um, But I think, as John said, you know, you want to make the game as as safe as possible. You don't want young kids coming to the game thinking, oh, if I do something bad, I'm going to be racially abused by a fan because I, I gave the ball away and, and all these, these different things. So I think by us just, just making a stand, it, it, gives, it gives them power as well, and it, it just empowers them to, to hopefully when they get to our age or if something does happen, they have the same strength to, to take a stand to it and, and say, I'm not having it and do what needs to be done to, to make a change. So, yeah, yeah it's, it, you know, it, as I said, at this level, just highlight a bit more, but, you know, we all... We all all there to, to make a change. Yeah, yeah, big one. Um, my last question then, is racism getting better or worse? John, let me come to you first. Uh, honestly, I do feel um, it's been highlighted now, but I just feel he's always been there. You know, he's always been there. Um, you could see, you know, from, or you could see in reports from former players, you know, when they were racially abused um, back in the day. You know, they didn't really have maybe a platform like the social media yeah. to express themselves, or um, maybe the you know managers or the, um, the 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 team, the chairmen or whatnot were telling them to like we don't need this sort of um, light on us, like just you know basically hold it type thing. So, um, but now it's been highlighted. So I feel it, it, it's always been there. So it, it's something. It's good that the awareness is there. Um, but now is, you know, what are we going to do about it? So um, I feel, yeah, it, it hasn't changed. Mm, yeah, action still needs to happen. Action needs to come through. Mm. Um, Shannon, what about yourself? Is racism getting better or worse? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm the same with John. I think it's, it's always been there. Um, now, 
people just have a platform to to show it um and we just as you said social media just allows us to to see it more so yeah it's it's always been there but now the whole message is now we need change now we need it to stop we need these governing bodies to 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 do to do something and even the social media apps and and stuff to just take a stand and help us out really and <laughs> yeah um it's it's yeah it's all i think it's always been there but now it's just highlighted a bit more because you see it all the time yeah yeah, you got to use your voice. You've got to use your platform. Guys, thank you so much. Can I just encourage you both as well and just say all the things that you go through and then you have to play your game. <laughs> like the way that you carry yourselves and just take part of the conversation. We can't thank you enough. Thank you for your time tonight. We'll be following up very soon. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for joining me on Kiss Life. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Speak soon. Speak soon. So good, these two, man. It's Swazi on Kiss Life. You're listening to a brand new show right here on Kiss. We're changing gears, man. We need to be having these conversations. That was Jonathan Abuka from St. Mirren and Shandon Baptiste from Brentford. But now, oh yeah, yeah, you're listening to Kiss Life. And still to come, I'll be speaking to 400-meter runner Conrad Williams. But first, on the line now is the man who has played 79 times for England as well as 586 times for the likes of Watford and Liverpool. John Barnes joins me now. How are you doing, John? I'm doing very well. Looking forward to our chat. So I just wanted to get into your head. Given your experience, given your background, what are your thoughts and your feelings about taking the knee? People have been taking the knee for hundreds of years, metaphorically speaking. Until something's going to be done, it may be meaningless. It's a gesture that people recognise. It's a gesture that lets you look at what happened, what's been happening in football for the last 30 years since this so-called getting rid of racism in football. UEFA have got this thing where you say, Pass down the line in every Champions League game for the last 20 years, say no to racism, pass it down the line. That's a visible representation of what we're trying to do. Nothing has changed from that visible representation of what we're trying to do. Taking the knee is very powerful in terms of people being aware of the problems, but I can see us in 20 years' time still taking the knee and nothing being done. It's not about taking the knee, it's about doing something about it. And unfortunately, we will convince ourselves that we're doing something because we just continue to take the knee. As I said, I'm involved in an industry of football whereby we have passing down this sign in Russia, Bulgaria, all over Europe, say no to racism, and the players get it and they go boom, boom, boom. What will happen is that people will all of a sudden continue to take the knee if they're told for the next 20 years and nothing changes, but we take the knee. Right, and, and that's what my question really tonight is all about. Is taking the knee more of a sign of a protest or is it performative action? Because so many of the players now are saying, oh, it's just a gesture. People are used to this now. And given how many years you've been in the industry, you would have thought that change would have come on by now. So is it a question of the authorities? Are the authorities not doing enough? Well, I've been involved in football from the civil rights movement, from the American Civil War, from the emancipation of slaves. There are visible things that you can see have improved, but nothing really changes. Like what? What has improved? Uh, you're not allowed to hang a black man by a tree anymore. Right. OK. Yeah, but you can you can disproportionately discriminate against black people so they can't get jobs, can't get an education. You can stop them, stop them by the police. So you can pass laws to stop certain things, but that's not going to change the perception that people have of black people. So that is what I'm interested in doing, changing the perception, because it's been illegal to rape and to, to, to murder for years. That has to stop people raping and murdering. Right. Passing laws can't change a thing. The Rooney Rule came into, into American football 30 years ago because there were three black coaches in American mm -hmm. football. So the Rooney Rule came in. You know how many black coaches there are now? Three. So what's the Rooney Rule done? Until you have people changing their perception, nothing will change. So these, these visible gestures, Taking the knee, keeping the conversation going. 
when it first happened with George Floyd and he looked at Pierce Morgan, Susanna, GMB, BBC, they said, yes, this feels like a change because now the conversation has to be kept going. The conversation's dead. I don't hear the conversation anymore. We hear the conversation amongst ourselves, but the hierarchy, there's no conversation. These gestures of the hierarchy and the status quo saying, we support you. This whole thing about, okay, we're going to have a boycott to social media now for two days. So what? It'll just start again next week. It does nothing. So taking the knee does nothing. We have to do something apart from taking the knee. But is it not a conversation of both and and? Because I can see why a young boy, a young black boy watching football, watching his favourite uh, sportsman, someone watching you even thinking, oh, I didn't know where you stood until you took the knee. It's a visual representation uh, where you stand, even though you're kneeling. So yeah. someone who is looking at that thinking, I really want to get into the sport. I see all the things that are happening, but because I can see my favourite players aligning themselves with the things that I care about, actually, I can see the solidarity in that. So when you say it doesn't change anything, is it true to say that taking the knee doesn't change anything? No, because you can still get into the sport. There's no black footballer who is young who can't get into the sport. He may get racially abused at the game and earn £200,000 a week, but he may get racially abused. So it's not stopping anyone getting in the sport. A young boy, 30 years ago, watching players say, say no to racism with a card, would have felt, yes, this is a change. And now, what's happened? Nothing. Nothing has changed since then. So now we're going to take a knee. In 20 years' time, we'll still be taking the knee. Like when we were passing the card around saying no to racism, nothing would have changed in terms of the tangible difference it will make. And listen, I'm interested in making tangible differences to the inner cities, not to myself, who may get abused at a football match because I'm fine. What's happening in the community? Would it have been fair to say to the Tommy Smith and the John Carlos, oh, if you just put your hand up and if you raise your fist, it's just performative. It's never going to change anything. But we know that sparked a lot of conversation, right? We know that a sign like that changed conversations and and brought about a change that today we, we are grateful for. So come the Olympics this July, when they have said we are banning any sort of protest they recognize uh taking the knee or any form of that as racial propaganda they recognize that as protesting and have banned that so what's your thoughts on a sign that is such on a global scale that's to be banned where do you sit with that what did that do for tommy smith and john carlos what have they done where are they now are they our leaders were they ever our leaders no they weren't they were ostracized that changed nothing what has it changed if that changed why are we in the situation we are now that was in 1968 why are we in the situation we are now if John Carlos and Tommy Smith doing that changed anything? It didn't change anything. It didn't. It gave a visible sign that this is what we're going to do. They got ostracized. I don't know what they're doing. I'm sure they're not multimillionaires and they're not high profile. And nothing has changed for people. What happens is that you have a certain group of people who elevate themselves individually by using this. Because, for example, we're talking about what we then say to want a visible representation of black people. There are 3% black people in this country. What percentage of black people do you think are on television? More than 20%. Right. Now, so it has improved the lives of the 20% of people on black people. Has it improved the lives of 99% of black people in the inner cities? No, it hasn't. It has improved the lives of a few elite people, maybe of I'm one. So it does nothing. It does nothing apart from improving the lives of some people. And let me tell you why you cannot get within a system and change it. You cannot change a system from within. I'm going to give you three examples. First example, American independence. Forget black and white. It's about people getting in, into a system and feeling they can change it from within. The American forefathers got into the system of, they were the, the colonial government, but they were still under the British system. They wanted more for themselves. These are rich Americans who want more for themselves because they can see in trade agreements they can get more. But because they were British, they understood that we can't because we're part of the system. So they had to get independence before they could make that change. Now, they used the people, the poor people, to then say, yes, we're fighting on your behalf. 
for independence. When they got independent, they got richer, nothing happened to poorer people. But they recognized that they couldn't change the system from being within it. Brexit, regardless of whether it's right or wrong, Britain has got over 80 MEPs, which means that apart from Germany, we're the most well-represented and we're very powerful within the EU. But they know, no matter how powerful we are, if you want to change a system, we can't get within it and change it. We have to break away from it. So we broke away. What are we saying as black people? Get black people into positions of power within the system and then it'll change. And that has never happened in history or it never will. You have to either break away from it to change it or while you're in it, go along with it. And that is why, because of the greed of human beings, be it black, white, Chinese, socialism and communism has never worked because the ideology behind it is perfect. We're all equal. Everybody has to share distribution of wealth. But because of man's individual greed, it has never worked because if anybody got into power, he always wanted more than anybody else. That's what the ESL is about. So therefore, if we think that from a black perspective, that we feel get black people in power, then black people will equal. Look all over Africa. Look all over the Caribbean. Black people are in power. Is there an equal system there? It is not. This is a capitalist elite environment we live in, which black people are a part of, women are a part of, gay people are a part of, and we cannot change it from within. Yeah, we've got a question in from one of the listeners for you. Um, want to know why is it that we aren't seeing the real vigour towards racism in football like we saw last week with the Super League? Because people aren't interested. People aren't interested. And why people are against the Super League is because what that is, this was a power struggle between elite groups, be it the Premier League, be it Sky, be it UEFA, and this new group. It's nothing about the little man. It's nothing about working class people. It's nothing about the football fans generally. It's about elite groups to have the power. Yeah. So yeah. you know what the fans have won? They said the fans have won. The fans have won the right to be exploited by the same people who have been exploiting them. If they lost, they would have been exploited by different people. Because if the fans won, why can't half of them afford to come to football matches? Why do they have to pay £150 for the kid for their kids when they can't afford it? Why do they have to pay subscriptions to watch it? If they won, they would say, well, I'm not paying that much. I'm not going to have those subscriptions. I want a cheaper kit because I've got the power. An elite group of people have used the fans to get up to keep the status quo as it is and convince the fans that, yes, well done, you've done well. I really have to squeeze you a bit more tighter here, you know, because it's a conversation that can be exhausting. And that's not to say that you're exhausted by it. Loads of people are keeping it alive and we need every voice to keep it alive. But if there is a pessimistic feel around it, are we fighting a losing battle when it comes to racism in football? When you talk about the change, how are you going to make sure that change is going to happen? What are some of the ways we can see that being done? Until we get rid of racism in society, it will exist in all walks of society of which football is one. How can we get rid of racism in football when it exists in society? We're doing it the wrong way around. How can we get rid of racism in education if it exists in society? In the police, if it exists in society. We have to tackle it as a whole rather than compartmentalizing it, particularly in football, because in football, what we like to do is convince people that the problem we have is a Romanian official, is a Bulgarian, is Eastern European. What we're not tackling is what's going on here in this country and not within football. Forget football. Forget football. Look what's happening in this country. And people are getting away with it because we assume that the biggest problem with racism is football. Kids can't get education, housing, jobs. Racism affects 1% of the black people. How many percentage of black people are footballers? What happens to the rest of the people? And we're ignoring and neglecting them because we're highlighting this and forgetting about everyone else. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have to do. And I know we have to do both. We have to do it in football and society. But we're focusing so much on the elite black, be they actors who can't get Oscars, singers who can't get Emmys, footballers who are racially abused, earning lots of money, having a great life. Listen, what I say about myself, when I got racially abused at a foot, football match, yeah? That is a racist incident. That is not racism. Racism affects black people every single day of their lives. A racist incident, like a banana coming on a field, affects me for three minutes out of 90. You know what I did for the other six days of the week as a black celebrity footballer? I went to the front of the queue before white people. I got into any club. I got into any restaurant. I never got stopped by the police because I'm John Barnes. Not John Barnes, the black man. John Barnes, the footballer. 
So when I get racially abused and I look at my life, I say, yes, we have to stamp this out. However, I look at black football fans who get racially abused every single day in the stadium and no one says anything. Mm -hmm. And people who black people get racially abused every single day in their life. When you talk about racial abuse towards black people, it is unspoken and unseen. So you see the banana skins and you hear the racial abuse. Black people have got invisible banana skins thrown on them every day of their lives, where they live in the schools they go to. And there's unspoken racism every time they walk down the street and a woman grips her handbag and crosses the road. It's mm -hmm. obvious in football because you're going to say something. And that's what we have to challenge on seeing racism. It's easy to, to, to ban a 12-year-old boy who shouts out. But that is not the issue in terms of what's keeping black people down. The invisible knee on our neck, yeah? And the invisible banana skins. That's what we have to challenge. And no one's challenging that because we want to vicariously lead to Obama being president. we got a black president. Have things changed for us? No. Beyonce is number one. John Barnes is a great footballer. Have things changed for the inner cities? No. That's why John Barnes says, forget about me. Yes, I got racially abused. Okay, fine. We've got to get rid of that. Who's speaking for the people in the inner cities who have, people have given up hope for themselves and their children, but we want to vicariously live through Idris Elba getting an Oscar? So my last question has to be then, if you were playing today, would you take the knee? If I was playing today, I may or may not take the knee. But what I would do is use the voice I have because I could be going to the front of the television and I can say, Yes, racism is bad in football, but who's doing something about the kids in the inner cities? Knife crime because of the disproportionate level of poverty towards black people. That is what I use my voice for. That's why when Marcus Rashford, instead of saying here's 250,000 pounds, and as much as this is, may not be a racial incident, but it's an underprivileged incident, which is the same as being black if you're underprivileged, he then uses his voice to change government policy towards underprivileged people. So let's call them black, be they white and working class. They're underprivileged and white black people generally are. He used his voice to change government policy towards them. I say to Raheem Sterling, Raheem's a wonderful young man. He gave 250 cup final tickets to 250 boys from Stonebridge Park when Man City got to the cup final. And that's fantastic. They can come and they can look and they can see. You can see it, you can be it. And that inspires them. What happens to them until the next year when he gets to the cup final gives them 250 cup final tickets? What he should have done and what would impact on their lives more positively is take them into a press conference as he can and say, these kids aren't being given an education a chance, access to social care, housing, that's going to help them. And that is what I would be doing as a player. Not saying, take a knee and say, I'm trying to stop people like me, elite people being abused. Because this is all this is. This is about trying to stop elite people being abused. What about the non-elite people of which are 99% of us, they're being forgotten about. Can I tease this out though? Because I do think that even if you take them to a game or even if you give them the education, we just never underestimate what change that does in that moment of time. And so I can't just say, oh, what you did is only going to have this much impact when I don't know, I haven't surveyed all of those children. So it's just a little bit, it's difficult, isn't it, to know what the right and the wrong thing is to do. And so when you but, say I would, I may or I may not take the knee, but I would be doing things alongside that. That's what I'm trying to get at, that you would be doing. Well, let me explain both it. Of let those me explain things. it to you. 1830, slavery was abolished. They still had slaves. That was a change. It's a new world. This is a new time for us to be equal. 1860 in America, between 1860 and 1900, or 1860 and 1880, black people could vote in America because straight after slavery, they gave them some power. That power was then taken away through the Jim Crow laws. Then you had the civil rights movement from the 1930s, 40s, 50s. And every time a movement happens, we say, this feels different. This is a change. This is huge. This has been happening for hundreds of years and nothing has changed. So why do we feel that now this is going to change? Because history tells us that until you stop trying to make the elite equal rather than everybody, because there are women, homosexuals, and black people who have been elite for hundreds of years. 
but nothing has changed for the general population of black women and homosexuals. So therefore, we have to stop putting black women and gay people in power thinking that that's going to change anything. We have to change our perception to the average black man, the average gay, and the average woman. Don't look for a fantastic black man, a fantastic woman, and say he's changing things for the average ones or for the less than average ones. And that's what we've been doing for hundreds of years. Because ultimately, this is an elite, those who have and those who haven't. And you have elite black who have been discriminating against and exploiting elite non-black, elite women who've been exploiting non-elite women. So it's not a question of get a black man up there and then that will help other black people. That has not worked in history for working class, for women, or for black people for hundreds of years. But that's what we think the answer is. Let's get a black man in power. So we need more black managers. We need more black people in the boardroom. This has been happening for hundreds of years of black people in the boardroom, of black managers, of black presidents, and nothing has changed. So we have to change our attack and say, forget about the elite trying to get them up there. Let's provide a platform down below for the non-elite to climb up the ladder themselves. So we provide housing, education, not to get an elite person more power. So yes or no then, take the knee if you play today. But you know what? To make a stronger point, I would not take the knee and I'll go to them and say, I'm not taking the knee until we have a black manager, until black managers are being given opportunities. Because I say to these black players taking a knee because they want to stop Eastern European players from, I say to these young black players, what do you want to be in 20 years time? In 10 years time, you want to be a manager? I wanted to be a manager 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And you have players older than me who aren't managers now. Now, is that racism? Where there are no black managers? Are we just not able to do it? Because nobody's tackling that. What we're tackling is the fact that a, a player doesn't want to be abused on the pitch. What about the abuse that black managers are being given by not being given jobs? And these are players who may want to be managers, but they're not, not talking about that issue. Why don't you say, why are there any more black managers? Mm-hmm. Because they don't want to set the system. It's okay to upset the system by pointing at an Eastern European as a racist or a football fan as a racist, why don't they point to the clubs themselves or the FA or the Football League and say more has to be done because you don't want to bite the hand that feed you. So therefore, people, I'm telling you, don't be fooled by an elite group of people who want more for themselves who purport to be working on your behalf. John Barnes, thank you so much for your time. We need You're to welcome. get you to the studio when it all opens up. Believe me. Um, I'm telling you, once the revolution starts, you look quite elite yourself, so you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> the voice of John Barnes just there. Coming on the show, Kiss Life, Sunday evening. You're locked in with me, Swazi. Tonight's episode is all about taking the knee. This is a big conversation being had, not just across sports fans, not even just across players. This is a conversation we're all taking part in. And now, who remembers this big sporting moment? Gatlin got a good enough start. Bob was a bit slow to begin. He's got some work to do. Gatlin's in front. Bob stretching out now. He's coming up. Rio Olympics, man like Usain Bolt. Imagine at that time, though, you have the whole world watching you and you decide to take the knee. In support of Black Lives Matter, what an amazing gesture that would be and a signal to to the world, the millions of people watching. And if that happens in this year's Olympics, the winner is likely to be disqualified. Joining me now on Kiss Life, British track and field sprinter, Conrad Williams on the line. Good evening, sir. 
Good evening, good evening. <clears throat> Thanks for having me. No, thank you so much. I mean, this news <laughs> has been big, and I'm sure you guys have been have been chopping it up in your group chat <laughs> in the in the different conversations you're having. So, what is the vibe between you and other British athletes um, that you've been speaking to? Um, the vibe is mixed. Basically, it's like a mixed emotion, really, because um, some of the people they they want to do it for themselves. But they have to, a sport like track and field is so, um, as I, how can I put it? You're basically on your, by yourself. You're, mm. you're on your small team. So it's hard to really get the support, even if you've got people really um, behind you and they want to support you. They probably feel a little bit reluctant because they don't want to ruin their chances of, you know, um, ending their sponsorship and things like that. Because, like I said, Bolt probably at a different level, he can do pretty much. Um, something like that, I might get away with it, but someone lesser than mm. might worry about whether the sponsorship or whether their team might sh- sh- um, sanction them and they won't be able to get to perform at the, the Olympics. So they want to get there first before they even worry about taking the knee. Yeah. It's real, isn't it? It's real when you start thinking about the, the consequences, the sacrifices that are being made. Yeah. And I mean, I think I think really what I wanted to talk to you about was, you know, the Olympics is coming up. This is now echoing what we saw in 1968. You've got Tommy Smith, you've got John yeah. Carlos. Um, you know, MLK died that April. He wasn't even alive to see the moment when they stood up and raised their yeah. fist. Um, and of course, last year, George Floyd was murdered. Um, and now the, the Black Lives Matter yeah. movement has been sparked. And so the Olympics this summer, to say that it's it's going to be um, banned or, or athletes who take the knee will be disqualified. What is the vibe? Is that not, you know, what is your feeling with that at the time now when racial tension is in the air? Yeah, um, for us on um, sprinters, um, athletes, they're, they're not the most political out there as it is anyway. There's a few that is very um, political, but for them, because ultimately the goal is to try and be in the games. Um, banning it just highlights it even more. I wouldn't think it would have been a problem out there. I don't think there's going to be over. Um, there wouldn't be a lot of athletes protest on the podium for Black Lives Matter movement. Um, there's probably, I remember in Beijing, the guy in the Taekwondo take his medal off and put it down on the podium because he felt like the referee didn't ref the match properly. and He was mm-hmm. doing the um, Taekwondo, so he, he took his medal off and he didn't want it. And he put it back down on the podium and walked off. And that kind of shook the sport up a little bit because he was, he believed he was robbed of the, um, the gold medal match. So there's always going to be some protests and anything like that. Um, but as for athletes, especially... It's only a small minority of athletes that are probably from black countries who actually feel hard done by. That's going to be out there going out with the intention to say, I'm going to make a stand. Um, mm. Because they don't feel that um, that is the place to do that. Um, the emotions is high. The stakes is high. Um, their brain is not really, as much as they believe in it, I want to demonstrate the timing is, has to be, you know, perfect. And only a few athletes that's affected by that will be on the podium and willing to risk everything personally mm. in nowadays to actually do that. So it will be a brave, um, a brave athlete mm. that is at the top of their game that would be willing to risk sponsorship, everything else that comes with it. Uh, probably some people might look at them and thinking, well, 
why would you do it here? You know, you're trying to, the essence of the games is so pure. They're trying to keep that. And this is not the place for that, even though it's something you strongly believe in. So it's a double-edged sword for me because I think people should, you know, express themselves and stuff. But I can understand the Olympics are supposed to be where you watch it and you feel inspired to try and get there the next time. So, yeah, yeah it's a difficult one. Oh, but thank you so much for your time. Thank you for jumping on and talking to us tonight. No worries, mate. Anytime. Thank you for having me. No problems. <laughs> Speak soon. Thank you so much. Comrade Williams, British track and field sprinter, talking to us about decisions around taking the knee. That has been the topic of tonight's conversation. You're locked in with me, Swazi, every Sunday from 9pm, Kiss Live, doing up group chat kind of vibes. Get involved on the socials at KissFMUK. Let me know your stories. Let me know your thoughts. Thanks for listening to Kiss Live. Make sure you rate, review and subscribe and I'll catch you next week, 9pm on Kiss.